Welcome, dumbheads, to MDC, the Mega Dumbcast. In this series, we're examining every single goddamn page of Alien Hunger, a quick start adventure for Vampire the Masquerade, to determine what is the dumbest thing on that page. Every episode is one page, every episode is short. If you'd like to play along at home, this is 1991's Alien Hunger, the official PDF release from White Wolf. Today we're discussing page 26 of Alien Hunger. Um, last time, two members of Vampire Drama Club, Flash and Terry, were attacked on their way to the mysterious nightclub Fish Pants by some kind of vampire with some kind of axe to grind. Vampire Drama Club is now under police investigation. They're being hunted by other vampires in the city and they don't know why. Their erstwhile benefactor, Angel Tony, has vanished our protagonists still don't know why they're vampires, how they became vampires, what the fuck is going on. All of those elements of this story are about to be resolved. And so I just can't put it off any longer. As a journalist, I have to ask a question here that may be offensive to some of you. So if you're listening to this podcast because you live in or are a big fan of Denver, Colorado, you may want to skip this one because at last I must do my duty and truly press this book on the question we've all been asking silently. Why would you ever stay in Denver, Colorado? There's no way to avoid this question at this point. I'll allow the book to explain, quote, There are three main ways to resolve this plotline. War, surrender, and flight. Although war is an option that will immediately occur to many, it is an option which will probably bring the Chronicle to a premature end, with the players as probable losers. Make sure the players have a hint of this beforehand by mentioning the apparent age and powers of their foes, their numbers, and the cunning which their leaders display. If they persist, give them one or two narrow escapes to convince them they are playing with fire. If they still do not figure it out, then show no mercy. Be fair to the players, but be fair to the vampires of Denver, too. I don't think the author should be throwing stones on this particular topic. Was it fair to give them comical haircuts and clothes two sizes too big for them? In the opening pages? Was that, was that fair to the vampires of Denver? Was it fair to name the three tough guy vampires of the city, Duke, the Count, and the Earl, like their fucking henchmen from the 1960s Batman TV show? But anyway, what the author means here is not give them dignity, respect the vampires of Denver. He means if the player characters try to fight the vampires of Denver, make sure the player characters get killed. And that won't be a problem because there are a bunch of vampires in town. And Angel Tony was telling the truth. Those vampires don't like Vampire Drama Club and are after them. They're, they're hunting them down. They keep attacking them. And eventually, against superior numbers and more powerful vampires, Vampire Drama Club is going to go down if they if they keep trying to fight this fight. So that really leaves them only two options. Number one, surrender themselves to the one vampire in town whose name they know, other than the absent Angel Tony, Ed Williams, a man who they know doesn't like them, who they know is very powerful, who they've been warned to stay away from. They could surrender to him and hope for the best. Or they could leave the city of Denver and spend eternity in another location, somewhere more auspicious to begin their goth punk eternity. Uh, for example, Albuquerque. It's a little over 300 miles away. Certainly far enough for a layabout like Ed Williams, who is, is spending his endless nights playing in his own house band in a, in a bar. I don't think he's going to go over 300 miles to chase you down. I don't suppose you're going to find an ancient and entrenched native vampire population in Albuquerque either. So, you know, you could go to Albuquerque. It's still close enough. You're like you're in the region. You know, it's not going to be too big a deal to move a lot of the resources that you have. It's not like traveling to another country, going somewhere where there's another language. 
being out of reach of like family and friends and, and acquaintances that you may need to establish your new existence. You know, it's it's Albuquerque. Given the option between going in blind to give yourself up to what you know to be a powerful and murderous vampire and moving to Albuquerque, you would think that the latter would be the obvious choice. However, Alien Hunger disagrees. It does acknowledge that, quote, flight is also a reasonable option. However, it says, quote, characters are not likely to choose this option, though, since they would be leaving many things unfinished and unclear. Wow, good point. We have so many things on our plate here in Denver. So many uh, rich aspects of our lives depend upon the city. For example, the fact that the police want us for arson and murder, uh, the fact that the most powerful vampire in town apparently is trying his best to kill us, the fact that all the witnesses who saw us do vampire shit live here, the fact that our close relations, including Monica's husband, who either know or must strongly suspect that we're vampires and have community connections such that they can do something about it, they're based here. Uh, could it be the fact that, you know, our homes, our vehicles, our bank accounts, all of those things that could be tied to us and targeted by our many, many enemies, all those things are here? Is that why we would stay in Denver? Oh, you know what? We do have a powerful vampire mentor here, except that even with his vastly superior power, when he tried to go ask the other vampires of Denver about us, he apparently either was killed or had to flee. That seems like a great reason for us to stay and just try to reach out to the folks in the neighborhood, get on Vampire Next Door and see how it goes. And think of what we have to gain if we stay in Denver and mend our vampire fences with the other vampires here, like Ed down at the bar. We could perhaps gain grudging permission to drink cow blood. We might get assigned exclusive feeding rights to drink the blood of Laser Show fans at the goddamn planetarium. Like, what, what do we think we are going to accomplish by staying here and being vampires in Denver as opposed to just getting in a car and driving to some other place and setting up shop there. Keeping in mind, two of us are multimillionaires. You know, it's not as though we are like these, these wretched cast-offs begging for vampire scraps out in the streets, like desperately trying to scrounge up the money for a bus ticket out of Denver. We have millions and millions and millions of dollars and influence and power. We could truly just leave the city of Denver. But, and this is the dumbest thing on this page, we are on page 26. We are 11 pages in, roughly two-thirds of the way into the 16-page portion of this book devoted to its story, its plot. And for us to get the rest of the story and learn all the things still to be learned in this adventure, to explore the rest of Denver, Alien Hunger simply assumes that we will be too committed to staying in the city of Denver to give it up, such that on this page, the only meaningful option the, the only option that is supported as the next stage of the story is for us to go find and surrender to the one vampire we know of and have been warned not to approach, Ed Williams. So that's what we do. I mean, it doesn't make any sense, but for this podcast, like this book, to continue, I just have to assume that that's what Vampire Drama Club does. They have a talk and say, obviously, we have to live in Denver forever, so let's march directly into the lion's den. Like, better death than an unlife without the charms of goth punk Denver, Colorado. So what happens when Vampire Drama Club goes to meet Edward, probably at the Broad Street? Well, first of all, they find out that Ed is the Prince of Denver. And then here's how that meeting goes. Quote, all Edward wants is an assurance they, meaning Vampire Drama Club, will not move against him. Convincing the characters this is an option may be tricky if they are paranoid, as many characters are. It may be tricky if someone has left them a note saying, absolutely don't do this, your life is at stake. It goes on to say, quote, if they choose to meet and swear that they harbor no ambition, they must still convince him, 
Remember, the prince has built up a great deal of paranoia during his long life. He will demand that the characters drink of his blood before he will let them live. Since Tony warned them about this, the characters may very well not want to go along with the drinking. Because the thing is, in Vampire the Masquerade, if you drink a vampire's blood, then eventually you will become fully enthralled to them. Like, essentially, you are in unnatural love with them and and loyal to them. Now, granted, this is early vampire. And in this version of the game, you have to drink the vampire's blood three times for there to be any effect at all. Until the third time, it's just whatever. You're not that into them. And then the third time, suddenly, the music swells all around and you realize that they're the only vampire for you. So drinking somebody's blood one time, you know, it's like smoking one cigarette. You're going to be fine. Just if you keep it up, be aware. It may become impossible to stop and it will not be good for your life expectancy. Anyway, if the player characters either drink some of Edward's blood as just like a show of good faith or talk him out of it and convince him it's not necessary, if in any event they convince him, hey, look, we're not here to cause trouble. We didn't ask to be vampires. We're just trying to have some fun and do some murders and it's nothing against you or your reign over goth punk Denver, uh, then Edward will suddenly just become very welcoming. Like, hey, I was trying to kill you, but that's just because, you know, that's my default position toward anyone I haven't met yet. But then you did the right thing. You came to my bar. You sat and watched me play guitar. You're cool. And it says that, quote, Edward will happily contribute to their assimilation into the vampire community. Ed will teach you all about how vampire society works, introduce you around, uh, hook you up with some fake IDs and papers and like a legal identity so that you can easily like slip under the radar, get out of this police investigation, have new documents for whatever the next step of your existence is going to be. So problem solved, like police investigation solved, Columbo's off the case, Edward's the prince and now he likes you. So nobody's going to be hunting you anymore. If you bother to ask, he'll even explain what happened with uh, Prester. To quote the fiction on this page, Edward faced the five of them with a look of amazement. Why? Why did I have Prester slain? He was fomenting rebellion, and I will not have it. I have seen war. I have seen the carcasses of the men lying and rotting in the street because there is no one to bury them. Seen whole villages burned and populations slaughtered. I will not see it again in my city. I have lived through the terror that revolution brings and will stop it from occurring here at any cost. Prester was fostering rebellion and civil war, so he died. But now you have come and sworn that you bear no thoughts of unrest, so I welcome you. Raise no rebellion, and you may abide here as long as you wish, in peace. See, he's not unreasonable. He's just asking for a little law and order, you know? Somebody moved to the neighborhood he was not familiar with, and it seemed like they probably were going to cause trouble, and maybe that would threaten his, his property, and, you know, the privilege in the community that he's earned. So, you know, he called the vampire cops on them and, and had them killed. But he's he's a cool guy, basically. You guys seem fine. Like, you're not threatening him being rich and powerful. So it's cool, like, come over, have a beer. Let's put on a Bob Dylan record to play incongruously while I give you advice on how to generate passive income through real estate. So, you know, Ed remains a loser, but at this point, he's no longer a threat. Everything's kind of wrapped up, right? No murder rap. You figured out that Prester apparently was a guy who was rebellious toward Ed, and so he had to die. But Ed doesn't have any beef toward you. It's just, you know, he burned down Prester's house because Prester was a problem. But now Prester's dead. Everything's fine. Everything's just fine. Everything's great. You've got new legal identities. You've still got access to all your resources. Everything, man, this is fucking fantastic. It seems like, you know, you've got the rest of eternity to just hang out and have fun in the vampire paradise of goth punk Denver. But there's one loose end. Uh, with, with apologies to Detective Columbo. Uh, one more thing. Quote, whatever the resolution of their meeting with Edward, as they turn to leave, he will ask after them, by the way, which of you was it who saw Duke when he first broke into the house? Needless to say, the character should have no idea what the prince is talking about. According to Duke, 
Someone inside Prester's house saw him entering the building for the raid. He is sure it was not Prester himself, and since none of them could figure out who it was, the prince has come to the conclusion it was one of the characters. When the characters deny any knowledge of what the prince is talking about, he will ask Duke to tell them what he saw, and Duke will tell them a short, blonde, seemingly unkempt man darted out of the room he entered the building through. He knew it was not Prester, and Prester at first demanded to know why they had rifled through his things, which they hadn't, before recognizing who they were. They had no luck finding the mysterious stranger in the house before they set it afire, and originally believed him to have been a burglar in the wrong place at the wrong time. The prince will be puzzled when he finds out the figure was not one of the characters, and will have Duke continue to try to find out who it was. You catch that? A blonde man at Prester's house. Sounds like Science Jaguar. Then again, short and unkempt. That's not how I was imagining Science Jaguar. We may have the wrong guy here. I was Science Jaguar, in my mind, probably goes about six feet tall, in good shape, clean cut, cuts a dashing figure, wears a lab coat out of the lab, but you wouldn't think to question it because it feels so right. That's that's my mental image of Science Jaguar. But listen, two blonde people in the same place seems like too much of a coincidence to ignore. So while it may seem that the story is resolved and Vampire Drama Club can now just begin its regular vampire existence, it is apparently so fucking important to identify the mysterious blonde man. Uh, we have to investigate. Join me next time as Alien Hunger tries and fails to justify our intense interest in this blonde man on MDC, the Mega Dumbcast. This has been Mega Dumbcast. New episodes drop every day except for Sundays, when all the previous week's episodes drop in one big megasode on the patrons-only RSS feed. If you'd like to get access to that feed and support the show, go to patreon.com slash megadumbcast. Social media was never healthy and is now dying, so if you want to contact me, you can email me. I am megadumbcast at gmail.com. This season's theme song is Suck City by Black Math, whose work you can find at freemusicarchive.org slash music slash black underscore math. Dumbheads, I will catch you next time.